we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A new world order. Child sex trafficking. The deep state is trying to destroy Donald Trump's presidency. Loose the battle plans of heaven. It's all about control. Broadcasting live to the world now. It's the weekend vigilante, Sheila Zielinski. Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. So glad you could take the time out of your schedule to tune in to the program today. Hey, if you are listening to this show and you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you do that. And make sure you do let me know what you think about the new changes that we made to the app. That's right. We heard from you. One of the things we heard that you wanted to be able to multitask while listening to the show. In other words, click play in the show and be able to multitask on your phone. We incorporated that. So we made some changes and the app is terrific now. And if you had an old version of the app, I'm recommending that everyone just simply delete it and re-download it. That's right. The Weekend Vigilante app, which is available for all smart devices, just simply go to your app store and get it. What a very simple, easy way to listen to the broadcast. And very quickly before I introduce my fantastic guest today, I want to mention to my patrons, listen, if you're a patron of the $25 a month or more amount, there's going to be customized content for you. That's right. It's called VIP Pass. And it means that you're going to have access to shows that the general public does not have access to. So do support my work on Patreon and make sure that you're committed for 25 or more a month and you will get VIP access to shows that are not going to be available to the general public. They're not going to be available on YouTube, on podcast, nor anywhere else will they be available. That'll just be available to my patrons that have committed $25 or more a month. And please, if you have the means to do more, I ask you to really faithfully consider doing that. The tremendous demands on this ministry are really getting overwhelming, and I really do need to hire myself a full-time staff. It's not even an option anymore at this point. So please do support my work on Patreon, especially those of you that are blessed by this ministry, and I thank you in advance for that. And finally, I have a project that's been on my heart for a while. I talked a little bit about it on a show I did last week, and I want to reiterate some things. So please stay tuned because I want you to be a part of this project. So do stick around after my guest. And what a guest I have on, Insider of the Pentagon I'm really excited because I've wanted to have him on for quite a while. I read his book, Deeper State. It is my pleasure to welcome today for the first time and hopefully one of many more. It is Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Mr. McGinnis, welcome to the program, sir. It is a pleasure to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, Sheila. It's my pleasure. Well, I'll tell you what, you have a very impressive bio. I could spend the whole time in the show just talking about it. I read your book, Deeper State, and I read a lot of books, and this is very timely. It's very well written. I'm just such a big fan. Robert, for the new listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself, your background. 
Okay, Sheila. Uh, I went to the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York. After graduating, I became an infantry officer, served for 20 years on four continents, you know, had command and staff, uh, retired from the Pentagon as an inspector general, and then joined the Family Research Council. Was there nine plus years, returned uh, to the Pentagon where I'm a senior analyst and as a contractor, which allows me to do what I'm doing today, and that is speak to public audiences about the issues that I see. I am a graduate of uh, not only the military academy, but uh, Naval Postgraduate School, Command General Staff College, uh, War College, uh, a number of other places. Uh, what is uh, particularly significant uh, with regard to the book, The Deeper State, uh, is that uh, my mother was here when I was at West Point uh, as a first on Capitol Hill and got really involved there, and then later in the Ford White House. Through the years, of course, I've been in and out of Washington since the early 70s, and I've dealt with all aspects of government, uh, obviously as a nonprofit at the Family Research Council working on the Hill, uh, obviously working within the bureaucracy, which is what I do on a daily basis. I, in fact, came to this conversation uh, from the Pentagon, where I'm part of a staff there, and I deal with them and have for the last 15 years. So I have a lot of uh, background that uh, gives me insight into issues that uh, I think are important to grasp um, the topics that I deal with in the deeper state. Very impressive background. Very impressive book. You know, one of the things, I mean, obviously it says so in your title, the deeper state. We hear this term deep state. Concurrent to that, we also hear this term globalism. How do you define globalism? Well, of course, the, the popular culture thinks of the corporate expansion, free trade, instant communications around the world. Uh, when I think of globalism, I think of a radical ideology, a humanist religion, uh, the effort to replace the nation-state with global governance, uh, people that favor Marxism, collectivism, fascism. Uh, I think of three flavors of globalism, the market, the justice globalist, and the religious globalist. I think, uh, obviously, of a, a very defined agenda that favors uh, public over private uh, that wants to modify the Constitution, certainly of the United States, that is rooted in the likes of Hegel and Wilson and Roosevelt and Obama. So, you know, e even uh, President Trump, right after winning the election last year, was asked to define globalism. And, and he says it's an economic and political ideology. It gives its allegiance to international institutions like the United Nations in overriding, obviously, the nation-state uh, sovereignty. It gives unrestricted movement to goods, labor, people across borders. It doesn't like borders, which, uh, understandably, that's what progressives are all about. And it rejects preferences, obviously, for citizens, even for jobs. And so when I say it's really about progressives, those are obviously people that seek advancement uh, ostensibly because science is so laudable and it wants to improve the lot of man, but then it goes into some very bizarre directions. It, it says modernization, we have to uh, reform the current systems, we have to oppose traditionalists, we have to reform outmoded laws and constitutions to impose socialism, uh, we have to go after those that uh, oppose climate change because they're big climate changers. <laughs> uh, they, they like taxation, they like 
uh, cheap education and, of course, education at their own control. They like social welfare. You know, they like big government. The list goes on. They're social Darwinists, uh, if you will. I see it as a catalyst for radical change in the modern state. It's robbing us of our uh, sovereignty, certainly as a nation, of our opportunity because it wants to give, you know, even citizens that have been here forever uh, their jobs to immigrants. It wants to do things that are really opposed to the American ideal. We live in a nation where uh, we've prospered because we've given the individual the opportunity to excel and didn't try to impose big government on every aspect of their lives, much less uh, tax them to death. And yet, right. Mr. Trump recognized all this, and he, he tapped into a, a nationalist, a populist belief. But it's not just here, uh, Sheila. You know, clearly, you know, we've seen the same thing, whether it's in Brexit or in France or in Holland or Austria or the Czech Republic. And even Angela Merkel is struggling even today because she can't form a coalition government, in part because there is an element in that country that just doesn't like the European Union and the way it's going because it's a globalist organization. Well, it's like I said before, it's hard to know where the tail ends and the head starts on this. You've got the Bilderbergs, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Committee of 300, secret societies, the Freemasons, all these other groups. It's really hard to know the the glove from the hand on these globalists. I mean, how would you define the globalists? Well, they're financiers. Some are the royals, some are dynastic, owning uh, families, and I list a whole bunch of them in the deeper state, the Rockefeller types. Uh, They control the money, a lot of money, big, deep pockets. And I profile a whole bunch of them that uh, have these multi-billionaires that uh, dictate a lot of even what federal governments uh, do and say. Uh, People that are in the corporations, the media, the culture, the education establishment, the political systems, these are the power brokers of today. And of course, as you know from reading the book, uh, Sheila, that I I look at certainly Clinton and Kissinger and Rockefeller and then Soros in, in some detail. I call these people using an acronym that I borrowed from another author, and it's weird. They're Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. Now, they're still incredibly divisive, prejudiced, small-minded, and arrogant. And I say that as well, and they are. In fact, some of them are psychopathic, I would argue. And that's, in other words, they have a personality disorder that they really are very antisocial and have only their own agenda to pursue. And they're using that aggressively. And all you have to do is look at the likes of what Hillary Clinton has done and the likes of George Soros or any of these rascallions in the type of lives that they live in the power madness that has motivated them to do the things that they have. Well, one of the things that Trump is, of course, accused of all over the headlines after he did his United Nations speech, the headlines said, yeah, it shows his nationalist instincts firmly intact, a staunch nationalist. How does Trump fit into the big grand scheme of this? You know, he's clearly an enemy to the globalist agenda. How does he fit within this? Uh, Trump jumped in there. He said, look, uh, if you want to save your nation, uh, elect me and I'll get rid of the the swamp. Now, like Ronald Reagan uh, and others that have promised to really get in and and fix the Washington establishment that has ruled uh, pretty roughshod over many, many years, uh, he is finding that it is quite an undertaking and something that 
you, know, you can't do all that quickly, given that uh, you have to keep the trains running and you yeah. have to uh, put in people that truly are willing to do the th- types of things. You know, I, I look at the deep state that I try to profile here uh, at three layers. The first layer are kind of the the people elected, the political establishment and the bureaucracy that works for them, uh, and they wield political authority. And it's legitimate. It may not be good, but it's legitimate. Uh, then you have the political influencers at the second level, and those are all the, the K Street lobbyists, all these nations that pour millions and millions of dollars into pockets of the political class. And you have the NGOs, the education establishment, the IGOs, all these organizations that are trying to influence the direction of the U.S. government. And finally, uh, you have the unseen realm, which is very, very real. And I've said many times that Washington is the center of evil in the world because so much power emanates from here, and you have so many people that have been bought off. It's, it's not a mistake that some people look at the Washington and say, really, it's a place run by oligarchs. In other words, we are an oligarchy. President Carter, former President Carter, said it's very, very clear, unlimited bribery, complete subversion of the political system in Washington. Bernie Sanders said something similar. He said dollars buy politicians in Washington, and it's really an oligarchic form of society. Ted Cruz said something like that. Others have said the same thing. We see corruption. You know, go back to the Obama era. You know, when IRS, of course, was going after conservative groups. And then, of course, you know about the pay-to-play with Hillary Clinton and her foundation. You know about the ATF. You know about the corruption in the VA. And the list just goes on and on. Uh, it's something that um, perhaps there's a yawn out there in American society, but this has consequences, and our nation is being robbed from us. Well, that's right. And yet you look at the criminal Clinton cartel, this Benghazi witch who seems impervious to prosecution, the good old Teflon snake that she is. Forget the 33,000 emails and the grand theft uranium, the Clinton Foundation. You could just write an entire book on all her shenanigans. The fact that she seems to kind of be above the law, it seems like there is no rule of law. I mean, the average citizen would be in jail for a lifetime with just a fraction of some of the stuff she's pulled off. In my mind, how she's not charged for treason, I don't know. But does it surprise you, given your background, that some of these unscrupulous devils never seem to be held accountable? Oh, no. This has been going on for from the beginning of the history of this nation. Though we had some great founders of the United States, but still, you know, they were, they were 55 all men, no females, no one of color. Uh, they were mostly lawyers. Uh, and what did they do? The purpose of writing the Declaration of Independence and ultimately the, the Constitution, which is a pretty good document, was to protect their own uh, wealth. Keep in mind, you know, they say very clearly in the early language, only virtuous people should rule. Now, who were virtuous people? Well, they were landowners. They were rich people back then. Uh, and they, what were they thinking about? They were thinking about the House of Lords and the Parliament and the monarchy that they came from. 
And then what kind of government did they form? They formed a government initially, based upon our Constitution, that, um, well, a lifetime judiciary, no power to the people there, by Carmel Congress. The, the, the original U.S. Senate, until uh, later we had the 17th Amendment, the U.S. Senate was appointed by the state. So the states had a lot of power there. And then we have an electoral college. We really don't vote for a president. We vote for electors. Right. And those electors then are expected to turn around and vote for what the will of the people is. But they don't have to. So there are some issues, and it's interesting that one of the early delegates to the U.S. Constitutional Convention, Robert Yates out of New York, said very clearly, and I'll quote him, he says, the government, speaking of what we were forming then, is to possess absolute and uncontrollable power, legislative and executive and judicial with respect to every object to which it extends. So it was a power grab. Yeah, they did have some biblical principles that were embedded. Very good document. And it wasn't until President Jackson, many years later, led sort of a revolt and put together a, a way of adjusting and forming a political system that gave more rights to the individual and to the people. But initially, it wasn't all, it's often painted as all rosy and all Christian. Our founders, I th our original founders that came to Plymouth and, and so forth, except for those that came to Jamestown, where my family comes from, uh, the original folks were, were, were seeking religious freedom, and they were good people, and, and they were God-fearing people. And of course, we had a mixture of folks that rose in the hierarchy of, of power, None of those people, by the way, that were at the Constitutional Convention were elected. They were all basically self-appointed by some of the local political hacks. Uh, and that's just the nature of how things came together. We are fortunate, through the grace of God, that we got a very good Constitution. We've had some adjustments over the years. And, and the system is, is better than any other system. It's just a matter. It's not perfect. Well, and of course, with the eight years of Obama, it was death by a thousand cuts, um, yeah. You know, just on life support and the deeper state got deeper. Well, now you call your book Deeper State. Clarify the difference between deep state and this term that you use, deeper state. Okay, well, who motivates the second layer? The second layer are people like John Podesta, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton's uh, favorite person uh, from her teen years, is Saul Alinsky, who dedicated his book to Lucifer. Yeah. Now keep in mind, the ideology of a lot of these people uh, is that of occultism, Luciferianism, and moral relativism. If you package that together, you end up with people like George Soros. In, in, in some cases, uh, very just selfishly and narcissistically, but also there's an element of demonic influence here that we must not uh, dismiss lightly. Yeah. And it, it's not by accident that on the 23rd of May of this year in the Los Angeles Times, there was a, a writer by the name of Diane Wagman. She wrote an article, quote, I put a spell on you, Mr. President, yeah. an, op an open witch. She claims in this article that thousands of witches, like her across the world, performed, quote, a spell to bind Donald Trump. Now, some people will laugh that off, you know, as the millennial generation tends to. They love Halloween, and they love to dress up as witches. But I will tell you, I have met personally witches. I know that they are very real. Some 
have considerable power, some of which are, I would call, demonic, to a certain degree because my own mother was the personal assistant to Jean Dixon, who was the lady that, of course, uh, would channel uh, spirits like Eleanor Roosevelt for you know, presidential uh, wives and, and the like. Linked together with the, the occult, but linked together with the demonic. And Washington is crawling with this sort of thing. But you would, you would expect that because Washington not only is a dark place, it's a dark place because it's a powerful place. And it's a place where all sorts of things happen. We, of course, are hearing left and right about people in high positions getting in sexual problems. Well, they get into financial problems. You know, I, you just look at the, the Paul Manaforts of the world. You know, he, he was Trump's campaign advisor, of course, did that sort of stuff, got him in trouble with the Ukrainians and, and things. But so did John Podesta, and yeah. so did so many other people. It's, it's interesting that you have a guy by the name of Andrew McCabe. Now, he's <laughs> a former FBI deputy director. Okay, He did not recuse himself, even though his wife, when he was in this position, uh, was running for state senate in my state of Virginia and had received almost $700,000 from two Democratic groups, one of which was run by my outgoing governor, Terry McAuliffe, who, yeah. of course, was very close to the Clintons because he had been the DNC director. So you have all this stuff. He he was this guy was out campaigning for his wife at big places and the like. He should have recused himself. And of course, in Washington, you don't do that because there are some people that are above the law, like the Clintons, like this FBI director. Uh, and then, of course, we know about the story of Donna Brazil and her new book talking about how Hillary fixed the election, actually the primary, you know, that Bernie Sanders absolutely had no chance of winning because she had all the money in her hands. Uh, so these types of things just go on routinely. So is it a dark place? It's a very dark place. A lot of evil takes place. A, a lot of nefarious things take place in part just because people are, are sinful at, by nature. I really don't think people understand that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these rulers, against these authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the high places. I don't think people really understand that we are dealing with a very dark realm here. We're dealing with the spiritual world. This is good versus evil. And I don't really think people really get that you know, the spiritual world is very real. And yet, because we can't see it, I really don't think people quite comprehend this. It's trendy to cast spells. I mean, where have we ever seen that in history where a front page news headline would talk about a witch casting spells? You know, again, just last week, you see Lana Del Rey admitting using witchcraft, you know, and it wasn't even exclusively witches. It was a cornucopia of Wiccan shamans, sorcerers, sorceress, hoodooists, occultists, magicians, ritualists. I mean, this mass binding, it takes place every month. And not just are they denouncing Trump, but his supporters as well. This is a dedicated resistance. And, you know, people shrug it off. Nothing to see here, folks. That That's frightening. Well, well, it is. And unfortunately, Sheila, those that are not spiritually minded have no idea about the spirit world yeah. and how it is very, very real. There are things I just refuse to talk about uh, in a public forum, but I know firsthand and I know through 
uh, people that are hurting badly about the reality of the spiritual world and that there's a lot of darkness out there. And yes, it does have an influence over those that are influencing the power brokers in the city. Uh, I know that firsthand. So when I talk about the three layers, they're so vivid to me. Though I may be an instrument in the bureaucracy, and I see this firsthand, but I've also been a lobbyist for a family research council, so I know how the lobbying thing works. I've been on Capitol Hill. I've worked with administrations, a number of them, and I've seen how these NGOs, these IGOs, these rich people come in and, and turn things on their ear because they offer up money for various and sundry things. Uh, you know, and I've been in the media. I've done virtually all the media that any you know sane person sometimes. <laughs> I'm not thinking I'm sane. Uh, could do. You know, every network. I've done thousands and thousands of interviews around the world, and I've seen the green rooms and the things that these people say on their side, and and what they tell me their agendas. I mean, it, it would turn your stomach. Uh, and that's why I come to the conclusion that uh, there's so much undercurrent. And some of it's just right out demonic uh, that is touching the political class and the bureaucracy. And so it's, it's often a wonder that we get anything good coming out of Washington. Yeah, no kidding. There's so many headlines going on with Europe, Merkel's troubles, post-Brexit, and also then you've got Vladimir Putin. What's going on with Russia? Weigh in on what is going on with Europe and Russia. Yeah, well, you've seen a rise of what I call Eurosceptic parties. Um, Mm. You you saw that in France with Marie Le Pen. You saw that in Holland with Gert Wilders. You saw it in Austria with Sebastian Kurz. You saw it in the Czech Republic with Andre Babis. Uh, And and of course, you've seen Angela Merkel lose power to uh, an alternative for Germany party, which interestingly was the first time what they popularly call a far-right party has won seats in the German parliament since the Nazi uh, yeah. surrender in 1945. So you have seen a transformation in Western Europe, in part because people don't like the European Union globalists. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back here was the tsunami of immigrants that were brought in, and these people failed to assimilate, and therefore they gobble up the culture, they gobble up all the resources, and they make people uh, feel as if there's no hope. Now, with regard to Vladimir Putin, uh, Putin is just being a a typical Soviet, um, very proud, uh, has every intention of resurrecting the Soviet Union. He did say years ago that the, the greatest tragedy of the last century was the fall of the Soviet Union. And so he has, at the sacrifice of his people, and he remains popular because of his nationalist and his populist uh, approach, he's resurrected their military. He has poked his nose back in the Middle East, especially in Syria, and working with the Iranians and the Turks, and, and ha- very cozy there, uh, working his relationship with the Chinese. And, of course, he's poking the, us in the nose in places like Ukraine and all the way to the Baltics and along the, the former what I call the Green Line, which was, of course, former satellites. So Putin is, is quite the character. He's a serious guy, and he's not afraid of rattling his nuclear arsenal because it is the largest in the world. And he's not someone to take uh, for granted any longer. And yet we did, I think, until especially during the Obama years. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to clean up from the Obama years, which I think Donald Trump is trying to do that. I mean, he's kind of single-handedly dismantling a lot of these executive orders. You see that. He's got so much on his plate just to drain the swamp. That's a colossal undertaking. Where do you start with pushback on this whole operation? Yeah, well, well, it is tough. And in fact, you know, in Tom Horn's new book, I wrote a chapter on Trump's promise to drain the Washington swamp. And I provided a prescription in there as to exactly how to do that. It's not pretty because it's going to break a lot of glass here in Washington. You know, it's unfortunate that Mr. Trump came in and didn't put people that understand how these things operate and put them into positions where they can really get in there and, and make things happen. Because of what I do, I I actually have exposure to some of his appointees, and I wish they were more savvy about operating within the bureaucracy so that he could get what he wants accomplished. I endorse what he says, but he's not putting a lot of the right sorts of people in the right sorts of jobs because he ends up having, you know, he's hiring people that are that know Washington and therefore, they tend to be part of the establishment, and they're going to place into positions establishment people. There are a number of, for instance, in uh, the deeper state, I talk about the Council for Foreign Relations. Now, some people argue, and certainly the CFR does, that they are not a secret society. But the fact is, CFR has had a significant impact on every administration since the time of Woodrow Wilson. Obama had throngs of these folks in there. They are selected carefully. They have a particular agenda. Richard Haas, who is the president of CFR today, you know, he was at the Pentagon a couple months back, and he was spouting the same foreign policy that got us in trouble with Henry Kissinger, got us in trouble with Jimmy Carter, got us in trouble with a lot of other folks. I know H.R. McMaster, you know, he's one of these CFR guys, too. He brings some baggage that I'm not sure is in our best interest. Uh, And then you have uh, Ms. Chow, you have uh, the trade representative, you have a number of others. Now, to the president's credit, he doesn't have nearly the number that, you know, his predecessors, whether George W. or, you know, his father or Clinton and so forth, because they they tend to just riddle their administrations with, with these folks. Now, keep in mind. You know, groups like CFR or the Trilateral Commission or the Bilderbergers. You know, interestingly, you know, an old friend of mine now, deceased, uh, Phyllis Schlafly, she wrote about the Bilderbergers during the 2016 campaign before she died. And she said, you know, here are the Bilderbergers, which started in 1954, met, of course, secretly, as they do, and they bring in the, the wealthiest of the wealthy, the heads of states, and all sorts of the shakers and movers in the world, and they meet secretly, and they plan, basically, how to make things work. Uh, now, they, of course, they say they don't, but the reality is they do, because people have reported from inside. And they were, they were conspiring against Trump uh, in 2016, because... You had the likes of Paul Ryan down there and McConnell and others that were actually in these meetings, uh, and they come out and they're 
recruiting the media, they're recruiting others to oppose Mr. Trump. Well, that's why Hillary Clinton felt emboldened that she was going to be successful. By the way, you know, Bill Clinton, of course, was recruited at the Baden-Baden Bilderbergers meeting in 1992 and was given all the money because he was going to put NAFTA uh, on the front burner, which he did, and he got that. So you, you have these uh, behind-the-scenes influence makers some of which I would argue are, you know, inspired by clearly an element of demonic movement in there. And they, they get in and they, they make things happen in Washington. And they use, you know, whether it's sex money or blackmail or a variety of things, you know, it's, all, it's, it's, it's not a mistake uh, in today's new world order that we find politicians being manipulated and blackmailed with their former indiscretions. And they just come up years and years later, and but they're they're held in abeyance until they can be useful. So you have all this going on, Sheila, and it's it, it makes for, I suppose, uh, interesting reading on the outside, but it's pretty vicious inside. Well, and then the United Nations is such a devilish outfit, too. <laughs> I mean, I say shut it. You know, the, he, Trump was talking about you know, doing something with you. And I thought, shut it down for the, I mean, it's really the springboard for all these other nefarious, insidious so-called organizations too, isn't it? No, it is. And, you know, I, I've spent some time when I was an NGO up there lobbying on pro-life issues and conscience issues uh, and the like. And yeah, it's, it's as corrupt as they can be. And yes, we are funding them because they use our taxpayer money to promote, you know, just terrible agendas, nothing that I could personally promote. But we go up there because we're following, we have a right to go up there as citizens because the United States is paying, uh, what, 25% of their freight. Yeah. And so we, we go up there to at least try to bring some reason, and occasionally we get a few things that, that we want. But you know, I agree with you. I would have shut the place down a long time ago. But, but you know, <laughs> keep in mind, who, who was it that, that gave the land to the United Nations? It was the Rockefellers. They said, no, on the, right on the Hudson, the East Bank, you know, right between here and there, they gave them all that land. Now, if you understand John D., and you understand, of course, David Rockefeller, who died earlier this year, you know, they're incredibly progressive in their beliefs. They promote everything that I don't promote. And they, of course, try to influence international affairs, and they did pretty good through their bank connections and the like. It's, it's a colorful background. But the United Nations was put together uh, in San Francisco in the late 40s, designed by President Roosevelt, who was envious of what uh, Woodrow Wilson wanted to form with the League of Nations at the end of World War I, failed to do so because the Republicans pushed back. So Roosevelt formed a secret cabal at the State Department toward the end of World War II with the intent of forming a United Nations. And 47 of these CFR folks and were the core of this effort. And they went out to San Francisco and, of course, stood up the United Nations. And with the help of the Rockefellers, they got a home in New York City. And that's the rest of its history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's surprising how many Christians don't understand how this deeply nefarious background works, how all these organizations are structured. They're so anti-God, anti-American, anti-Christian. And that's the thing that really gets me is how many Christians just don't have a clue what's going on. You know, and it's not just that. It's the fact that Christianity today is so warped. 
New Age has absolutely seeped into the church. Does it surprise you, the state of Christianity today? You know, I'm not surprised because I know, according to Barna, what is it, uh, 3-4% of certainly Americans have a biblical worldview. They don't understand who they are. You know, there are a lot of biblical examples, perhaps, of people that you know, were born again and they didn't really know who they are. I, I remember as a young Christian, I was here in Washington, and I, I was in a social setting. And though I was a born-again Christian, I didn't know a lot of Scripture. And these two people who self-identified as witches, they came up to me and they said, we were, they were surprised I would talk to them. They said, you're a Christian. And I said, yes, I am. See, You see, the reality is they knew who I was yeah. because of the spirit that's within me. And I didn't know who they were because I was not spiritually attuned to the types of things that are in this world. And so we really struggle, as it says in Ephesians 6, against powers and principalities. And it's so very real. And yet the church, I think, and especially pastors, you know, have a responsibility to equip the flock. Unfortunately, we have so few that I'm aware of that are talking about not only prophecy and what is before us, but about the reality of what's going on in our own government, uh, in our own culture. You know, I, I was talking to someone that will be unnamed here about corruption in, in Hollywood and how they've just been totally sold to Satan, the production of movies and so forth to totally corrupt our culture. And of course, they hate Christians. They really hate us Christians. Because the flavor of Christ, as it says in Matthew 5, you know, we're supposed to be salt and light. Well, I think for the most part, much of the church today has lost the saltiness that is supposed to be associated with salt. And no wonder the world sees that we compromise on the things that our Lord says we shouldn't, and therefore our witness is of little value. Uh, I, I expect at any time the Lord's going to come and put us out of our, our misery down here because <laughs> he loves us so much, and we don't even understand who we are. It so surprises me that there's such a small amount of Christians, really, Bob, that even have an inkling of what's going on. They're anti-Trump. You know, they go to these mega churches. It's three hymns and a PowerPoint, and you're out of there. It's just really, (laughs) boy, you're so right, because, you know, what Jesus is saying when he said, you're the salt of the earth, and if you're no longer salty, how will the earth be salted? He's really saying here, if we lose our saltiness, if we lose our ability to preserve and flavor the earth for him, well, then, then what? Salt preserves from putrefaction. It's kind of like the whole church has lost its savor. It's lost the savory doctrines of the gospel. The the usefulness becomes gone out of it. We have so many spiritual streakers in today's world. <laughs> you know, they, they really have spent no time in God's Word, and so they have no clue as to who they should be. You know, all you have to do is go to one of the Gospels. Try to do your best, and, and, and you can't do it totally. I understand we're going to be sinful, but all you have to do is, is reflect Christ and the behaviors that he evidenced and he taught, and yet we don't do that. Uh, I wish the churches as a minimum would, but certainly the, the, the people of God are called to do you know, those sorts of things, and we fail dismally. And we don't need to fail all the time. We can be faithful, but yet we aren't. Like I said earlier, they, they really don't know who they are. And if we did, we would, one, be incredibly humbled, 
Because the God of the universe sent his only son to die on the cross for me. Now that's pretty humbling. And why don't I reflect that in the, the life, the short life that I have as I walk and breathe on this earth? I ought to. And he's given me his word of encouragement. Even better, he gave me his Holy Spirit. And he speaks into my heart. He helps me understand his own word. You know, I'm not here alone. I'm here as a conduit by which to show the love of Christ to a lost world. And we have a lost world here. Absolutely. And that's what I love what you state in your book here. Just when all hope seems lost, well, there's only one hope, one answer, one solution. And as you point out, God has preordained the final outcome in spite of what looks to be impossible. With God, all things are possible. And I think you've written a tremendous book here, so timely. What a great compliment to Tom's newest saboteurs. Nicely done. And Robert, in the waiting moments, if you could please tell folks where they can get a copy of this book and also how they can contact you as well. Well, you can get it uh, through Amazon. It's They've got plenty of copies over there. And then you can go to most bookstores. Barnes & Noble, I know, has it. Uh, and you can always go to Skywatch. It's pretty easy to get a hold of. Yeah, they can go to my um, my Facebook page, and it's uh, Robert L. McGinnis, and uh, it will pop right up. I have a, I've got a lot of new friends lately. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll have some more new friends after this interview. Well, thank you so much for your time. Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis, and coming on the program. Just such a fascinating conversation. Great book. I highly recommend people get it. And again, thank you so much for your time in coming on the program, and I hope to see you again soon. Well, thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure, Sheila. Well, there you go, folks. That was Robert L. McGinnis, a man from inside the Pentagon with such an interesting look on the deep state. I highly recommend you get this book. I have it linked there in the description as well as a direct link to his Facebook page. Add him as a friend and check out all his stuff. What a very impressive man, impressive bio, impressive book. Speaking of great guests, Dr. Ted Brewer joins me to ask this question. And I don't really hear anybody else discussing this, but why are holistic doctors dropping like flies? Isn't that a good question? And I, again, I don't really hear anybody else asking this. They're becoming the most endangered species in America. What's that all about? And lastly, I just, I want to play the ending of a show I did because I need your help with the project. I need your help on this project. I can't possibly scout out millions of things out there. And if you give me something that I use on air, I'm going to give you a copy of Power Prayers, signed copy of my book, Power Prayers, Warfare That Works, and it works. And this is a great way for people to get a copy of that. So again, if I use anything that you send me, if I use that on this project, then you will win yourself a free personally signed copy of my book. Now, on my last show at the end, I talked a little bit about this project. So let's take a listen. I want to kind of do this project with my audience. If you've seen a powerful article or something that relates to, and here's really what God has put on my heart, AI, so artificial intelligence, you know, even ex-Google executives registering the first church of AI with the IRS. Can you believe that? You know, even The Verge, I was just looking at an article this year, Colonel's trying to hack the human brain. You know, neuroscience is making leaps and bounds, and it's very frightening. So I want to weave transhumanism, AI. I want to kind of do a little documentary, sort of like I did with the Disney deception. Again, if you see any newspaper articles, YouTube video, 
or something of yours, I'll actually acknowledge you and thank you on air. And I'm going to be giving some free books out to Power Prayers because, I mean, I'm only one person. I can't possibly keep up on all the articles out there about, again, the coming 5G, the rolling that out, the coming global brain, transhumanism, AI. Or maybe you've seen it with somebody that's already done this, but look for something that's really good. And I'm trying to take a whole lot of information and compile it into a very powerful document, little mini doc. Like I said, there's a whole world out there that doesn't have a clue about this. A lot of Christians have no clue about what's going on. Pray that I really capture here what I feel on my heart to focus on. And again, I think this is just the biggest thing ever. The fact that they are registering the first church of AI with the IRS. And you know what's even more disturbing? When you go to Sheila.media and you go up on my headlines at Sheila.media, which also funnels back into my end time news on Weekend Vigilante. Well, interesting. There's an article on there called Artificial Intelligence replacing human beings and becoming a new form of life. So again, I started working on this project, got a big drawing board. I'm kind of putting some thoughts together to get this incredible documentary. I think it's so important to paint a picture of what's going on. So again, I just thank everyone that's going to shoot me articles, headlines, anything around, again, this artificial intelligence, the very sinister, nefarious piece of this. I mean, these guys are even talking about just in a few years away, implanting memories, implanting brain chips. Is a brain chip the mark of the beast? I absolutely believe that a brain implant in the frontal lobe will be the mark of the beast. A chip in the hand, a chip in the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex. And folks, I'm not talking about just an RFID chip. Uh, I'm talking about some really sinister coming technology. I'm not, repeat, I'm not talking about the little rice size RFID chip that's in all your clothes and your, you know, your backpacks and your wallets and bank cards. I'm not talking about that. Again, I'm looking forward to you shooting me headlines. Maybe you've already seen a video on this. Maybe you've watched a YouTube on something on this topic that covers the rise of the AI God. Anything that fits into this theme of Mark of the Beast technology, the coming global brain, 5G, artificial intelligence, how this all ties in together. Boy, we're going at warp speed to some very frightening realities here in the near future. So again, I'm really looking forward to you sending me your information. Just go to Sheila.media. Again, my contact information is there. Okay, well, you heard it. And that was a little portion of my last week's show. And you pretty much have the assignment. Thank you for helping me out with this. It's very greatly appreciated. Looking forward to getting your submissions. And I will see you real soon. Good night and God bless.